Sword and Laser is brought to you by you. If you get a dollar's worth of value from the show, how about giving us a dollar back? Head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. And Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans like you. And we are very happy to have author Peter V. Brett on the show today. Pete, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, as you probably all know, he's the author of The Demon Cycle. First volume was published in the UK by HarperCollins Voyager imprint in 2008 as The Painted Man, and in the US as in, uh, by Delray Books as The Warded Man. We, we discussed that with him, sort of the machinations of that last time he was on. Uh, but we're excited, uh, Peter, because you've got a new volume coming out. Yeah, finally. Uh, in true epic fantasy author fashion, the, the books take a little while in between each, so it's been just over two years since the last one, The Daylight War, but Skull Throne is going to be out in less than two months, and I'm all excited about it. Uh, super happy with how this book came out and so I, I kind of I'm at the stage where I'm just eager for people to be able to read it now the secret is though we are recording this early the podcast is actually going to come up a mere six right, it's coming out in like two days podcast. so you are super excited because it's coming out this yeah. week because it's <laughs> totally March 25th right now <sighs> Oh, I'm thinking too too linear. Yeah, no, seriously, we get so many time travel problems with this show. It's 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 an issue. We have to use the future past conjunctive. <laughs> should make up a tense just just for this. Sort yeah, of thing. exactly. Uh, so Skull Throne is out March 31st, but but there's a way to buy it early. Secret, it is out at Emerald City Comic Con, which I will be appearing at starting on uh, March 27th. Uh, they have special permission from the University Bookstore to sell the book four days early, so I will be on hand to sign them if you pick one up at Emerald City Comic Con, and I really think you should go to that because it's going to be an awesome convention. Now, do you have to do tons of press for this? Is this the kind of thing where you're going to be traveling around to all the cons for the next few months? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have... Uh, ten days of touring in the U.S., ten days of touring in the U.K., a bunch of scattered conventions, and at some point, once we find out when the translation dates will be, I'll probably be going to Germany and Poland as well, maybe a few other countries too. I'm going to be on the road a lot this year, which I have author anxiety about, but uh, I'm also really excited for the chance to meet fans and talk to people, but uh, you kind of become an author because you want to sit alone in a room and you know, tinker with something, and then after you get published, it's suddenly like, oh, by the way, you have to dance on a ball in front of a crowd. Yeah. If you want to be able to pay the bills for the electricity to sit alone in that room, you need to go out here and talk to all these people. It's kind of crazy. It's it's true, and and like it's something that I, I I get better at. I've gotten much better at it over the years. I'm not I'm not nearly as anxious about talking in front of people as I used to be, but particularly when you write these sort of like big doorstopper books that I do that take two years to put out, it's a weird transition when you go from, you know, being by yourself for 18 months or, or whatever to suddenly switching to promotion uh, territory where like now you have, now for the next few months you have to go out and be active and, and social and friendly and travel around and then go back to hiding in a cave for another two years. <laughs> and get See, back to work. <laughs> 
That's why we do Sword and Laser this way now, so that you can stay in your cave, but still promote the book. It's, we're trying to give you the best of both worlds. Well, you can tell from how dark it is in here that it, uh, I'm, I'm in my author cave. I'm in my migraine cave. <laughs> so my question for you is, there's been three books out so far in the Demon Cycle series, um, but is was it always intended to be a trilogy and now you're just writing more books, or is it more of an extended world kind of series? This is this is something that I've been, this is like a, a bit of misinformation that I've been fighting since the very beginning. When I originally pitched this series uh, to Delray Books, I guess to a lot of publishers, but when I originally pitched the series, I pitched it as five books. And because I was a new author and nobody had ever heard of me and they didn't know if the books were going to be successful or not, they said, well, we'll buy three and see how it goes. And if they sell well, you can do all five. And if they don't, you're going to have to find a way to close it out in three. And so about halfway through the second book, uh, the first book had just launched and was doing really well. And about halfway through, I said, hey, look, I need to make a decision right now. If Like, like there are a bunch of things that I would like to explore, that, but I can't do it if there's still a chance that I might have to close it in three. And so after talking to my editor and talking to my agent a little bit, I just decided to roll the dice and write as if I was writing three books or five books and see where it took me. And thankfully, the books have done well enough that there was never really a question. Uh, the story has has threatened to grow in the telling, so I probably could have stretched it out to more books without really artificially adding to the story. But I, it's become I've made promises to end it in five, and I'm going to hold to that if I at all possibly can. Uh, yeah, I noticed you said three books, and then you said five. And then I was like, maybe he actually means seven. Maybe it's going to be a nine-book series that could keep going. Well, this is how publishers it's, – it's kind of weird the way publishers work because they buy books in threes because it's a fantasy, so obviously it must be a trilogy because how could it not be a trilogy if it's a fantasy, right? So when I pitched five, I think that threw a wrench in the works right away. Um, but then when they bought the last two books – they also bought an unnamed third book because they buy books in threes. And so now I'm contracted for six books. So I could extend the series to a sixth book and no, like nobody could stop me if I wanted to because I have a contract uh, for another book. But my plan is to end the series firmly, close off the storyline for all of the main characters, and then write one or more books set in the same world with some shared characters that... Uh, can keep the story going in a lot of ways, but there will still be closure for people who just want to read that five book series and be done. Um, it's one of the things I liked about the way Joe Abercrombie ha handled his trilogy and then gave you books in the universe with some of the same characters so you could continue to experience it without having to continue, you know, not not that the story was bad, but in, in other words, the, the, the first trilogy was nice and self-contained. I get. You must have an incredible empathy for George R. R. Martin. I do. Um, so, uh, first off, with regards to Joe, like Joe's a good friend of mine, and I absolutely agree that his uh, approach was wonderful. It showed uh, it, he finished a series, he proved he could finish a series, and then he had more stories to tell, and he had a lot of different characters that he wanted to explore, and I kind of feel the exact same way. And so I have at least one standalone book planned that I will get to eventually in the series that I could have worked into the larger story if I wanted to add a sixth book to it, but 
I decided against. Uh, it was better. It's better as a standalone. And then I still have a bunch of other characters that I would really like to explore and really like to take the time to do that. But I think I'm better off giving some closure and then sort of restarting with a new series. Um, as far as George R. R. Martin goes, I have enormous uh, empathy for him. Uh, I, like many authors my age, uh, was reinvigorated with the fantasy genre because of George R. R. Martin and because of the Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I would still be writing fantasy either way. I was doing it long before I read those books, but those books really were a kick in the teeth to say you don't have to make it just for kids. You, you know, you can have adult themes, you can explore complex issues, you can explore complex characters in a way that I hadn't really seen in fantasy books prior to that. And so I think my books and my writing grew up because of writing those, because of reading George's books. And now when I'm a few books in and I realize how many open threads I have, how many characters are pulling in different directions that I need to get back together in order to have closure. It's daunting and terrifying and just remembering everyone's name and remembering, you know, the little details about all the different characters and what their motivations are is staggering at times. And I am dealing with only a fraction of what George is dealing with. I mean, George's books uh, are noticeably longer than mine, and he infamously has a lot more POV characters than I have. I have about 10 POV characters now, um, but I don't use all of them very often. Some of them I've only used a, a handful of times. George, I don't even know how many he has now. George might not know how many at this point. And I get very frustrated with people who think that they know enough about George to criticize him and say, like, he doesn't care about his fans and that's why he worked on this other project or he doesn't care about his fans and that's why he's out promoting his books or, or working on the show or whatever. And I, I think that people don't understand, and I say this respectfully, that writing a book isn't as easy as just sitting down and typing. There's a lot of problems that you need to work out in your story in your head before you can sit down and write those things out. Or sometimes you'll write out, sometimes you'll know what's going to happen, but you don't exactly know how all the characters are going to feel about what happens. And how they feel about what happens is where this, the meat of the story is. That's what makes the reader feel for them and feel for what's going on. And if you don't have that or you don't have the angle for that, or, or sometimes you'll have a number of POV characters all together and you know what happens, but whose eyes are going to, is the reader going to be sitting behind when it happens? Who's the person that's most, has the most agency or is in the most pain or, you know, is dealing with the most important issues so that you can be in their head when it's all happening? And those sorts of things you need to chew on sometimes. And, and so it's not something that you can just sit down and write. I mean, you can, but you're not going to have as good a book as if you work those problems out in your head before you sit down and write it. And so I just, I really feel for George and he's working on his art and he's doing it the way he wants to do it. And that's how any piece of art should be done. Once your fans start dictating your art, it's not your art anymore. And 
when you have fans who are critical of something and you're saying, well, why aren't you listening to, you know, to our criticisms? Well, there's a bunch of other fans who love that same thing that you're criticizing. And, you know, who do I listen to? You listen to yourself. You listen to the creative voice that started it all. Um, that doesn't mean you can't improve if you, if someone points out a flaw and you agree that it really is a flaw, but like, uh, you have to kind of follow where the story's going, and sometimes that takes longer than a book a year. No, I think that's really well said, and I think that carries over to many different kinds of artwork as well beyond beyond writing. Um, you know, even podcasting, I think we've struggled with that a little bit, you know, taking feedback from the audience and, and deciding what to use and what not to use and, you know, being true to doing the show that we love doing. So it's definitely not as intense probably as what you or George R. R. Martin are going through, but... <laughs> Well, there's different ways, right? You can run it like Harry Turtledove does or, or the Mongoliad and say avowedly like, yes, please come help us build this. And that that's a way to do it. Uh, or you can do what we're doing with George R. R. Martin or with you, Peter V. Brett, and say, tell us a story. And, and, and if that's the situation you're in, I think as a, as a reader, we have to let you tell us the story. Yeah. Well, speaking of fans, we do have questions uh, from our Goodreads audience, um, and let's kick it off with Terp Kristen, who says, uh, have you seen any new tattoos from your books? Um, have you ever seen them randomly on the street? <laughs> uh, I have never encountered a fan randomly on the street, I, I think, ever. Uh, I've never seen one, like someone reading one of my books in the wild, which I, I would be thrilled. Uh, I think I would immediately tweet that if that happened. Um, for tattoos, I have sort of a running file of fan art that I get, you know, that I keep, and I start a new file every year. And so since January of this year, there have been three new people who've gotten tattoos. Um, I think there's dozens at this point, which is both uh, wonderfully gratifying and kind of daunting at the same time uh, that people have sort of permanently marked themselves with things from my books. Uh, you know, and every time someone gets a tattoo, like I, I kind of feel like in my heart, like, wow, I hope I didn't just kill your favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very real fear to have in this world, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, uh, especially in this book coming up. There's a. There's oh, a no. There's no. A bit of, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give no, any details, but uh, there's there's a body count, uh, and some of them may be significant. Uh, you know, those tattoos just become in memoriam. <laughs> they have to get um, a little banner underneath saying the, the year in the book that that person died. So I'm having a fan art contest that just ended um, on Sunday uh, for people to win advanced read copies of the new book. And I had eight copies to give away. And so I just said, people, pick your favorite scene from the book and in some form of art, do something that expresses that scene. And so I got cosplay and uh, digital art and hand drawings and tattoos. One person made a video, uh, a stop motion video out of Legos. Another person made a, a incredible animated video. Um, and three different uh, people entered with tattoos that they had just gotten. Um, some of which are spectacular, like really gorgeous, gorgeous art. Um, so uh, it, it's been amazing to see. I have a really hard time the next day picking the winners because there's about 15 people that I want to win, and I have eight books to give out. 
um, there's a limited print run on the arcs, and so I, I like I get my hands on as many as I can, but there's only so many that I can get. So it's going to be a hard decision figuring out who's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> but that must yeah. be the best kind of like gratification too to see people making something creative out of this world that you've that you've built. It feels amazing, and, and to see the characters that I have clearly pictured in my head, see how other people picture them, and see how other people. Uh, feel about them like is always amazing to me and shows just how differently people perceive what you're doing. Um, I, I love fan art so much. I used to make fan art. I still make fan art sometimes myself. And so uh, it's wonderful to see other people doing it. And I will give away, I, I tend to give away a lot of prizes uh, in addition to the whatever the grand prize is, so the grand prize is advanced read copies of the book. But I had another smaller novella in the Demon Cycle that came out earlier uh, this year, and I have arcs of that, and and you know leather bound versions of that that have interior art. And so like I can give away prizes to everyone. I just uh, can only give away the, the big prize a few times. Well, it's a good problem to have. At least you have you have good stuff to choose from. Yeah, I, like I should be so lucky to have this problem forever. Yeah, yeah. So Sky wrote in a question. He asks, "Do you have a personal philosophy you are trying to express through the Warded Man?" And Sky wonders, "Does it have anything to do with Anne Rand?" Uh, no, it does not. That was the best face ever, by the way. <laughs> I, I mean, I I think that it's impossible to entirely keep my personal philosophies out of my writing, but I do my best to have a variety of characters, all of whom have different points of view, all of whom have a different way of looking at the world, some of whom are very different from my way of looking at the world, and I put them in situations and I let them work things out, and I think if that if there's any philosophy that I'm trying to express, it's that. It's that the people that you think you know, maybe you don't know as well as you think you do. And so I've, I've made a point over the course of the series of introducing characters as antagonists and then in the next book make that character the protagonist and get to see the world from their perspective and get to see how in many ways they're as much a hero as the person you thought they were the enemy of. And that, I think keeps broadening the world, keeps widening the world, keeps showing that the world isn't as simple as people may think, and how, in the end, it may be that, that both sides have some real wrongs that they're uh, trying to fight against, but also some real wrongs that they've committed, either intentionally or inadvertently, that they have to take responsibility for. Um, I am certainly not extolling any of the uh, uh, philosophies of Anne <laughs> Or are you? No, I'm just joking. Um, that was a terrible joke. That wasn't even a joke. Why did I even say that? I just thought maybe... You it was super funny, really. It was super funny? Thank you. Okay. Who is John Galt? I don't know. When is happening? Uh, Trike wants to know, uh, the Warden Man books hint that they take place in a distant future on our world. Is this the case? Was this inspired by Shadowrun's notion of magic suddenly reappearing in the world? Also, movie news. Give it to me. <laughs> um, okay, so the first question... Uh, there are hints that it, it is a world very similar to ours. Whether it is precisely our world or not, I haven't said, and I don't intend to say. I, I know the answer, and I don't know, maybe someday 
after the series is done, I'll, you know, I'll, like when I'm a crazy old man, I'll like let it out in an interview. Um, like um, Fahrenheit 451 wasn't about censorship; it was about the horrors of TV. Right, uh, right, right. You know, and crush the the dreams of all my fans. This one's uh, for you, Trike. <laughs> But I, I, I think the better the story is better served by never really giving that away. I, you know, at no time it was one of my characters going to find like a like an ancient iPhone in a, in a cave somewhere or or like the head of Statue of Liberty yeah. on the beach somewhere. But I mean, it is it, it, we the world with the characters are in was once a technical technologically advanced world not dissimilar to our own, and then demons and demons returned and beat it back down into the dark ages. And so you have books of science and technology that the characters sometimes find that give them more technology than they know what to do with. You know, tell them how to build stuff that they don't have the machines or the tools to ever build or, or tell them things about science that they have no way to verify or no way to, to deal with. And so they sort of have to make do with the technology level they have, but with a source of information that goes beyond that, um, which I think creates a really good setting and help, kind of helps me as an author sometimes pull a rabbit out of a hat when I need to, you know, cure someone who's really, really sick or something. Um, and technology will be coming back into the world as they sort of gain a foothold against the demons that are attacking. Uh, Technology and magic will be getting stronger as the humans get stronger, uh, and that's something that will escalate at the same time that the demon antagonists escalate. So that covers that question. What was the rest of it? Movie news? There's no movie news right now. We came extremely, like the, the books were optioned. We came extremely close to having something happen. Um, we were trying to get funding from a number of sources instead of just going to one studio. I had a major director attached to it, a major pro- producer attached to it. Um, but it was at an earlier stage in my career. I hadn't uh, reached the point that I've reached now. and I, uh, We just couldn't get quite enough funding. Like we needed... I forget what the number was, but we were maybe two-thirds of the way we needed to, to make it happen. When you're doing a movie that has to be, like by its nature, has to be kind of special effects heavy because you've got demons and you've got magic and you've got people with superpowers, um, you need a budget for that. And it's one thing to have someone option your movie and pay you, know, pay you a small amount of money to, to sit on it or maybe do something with it. And it's another thing to have a studio or a bunch of investors say, yes, here's $100 million to make that happen. And so we got really close, and it didn't happen, and the option has expired, so it's sort of in limbo right now. I still have a very good relationship with the director and the producer, and it's not out of the question that they'll do something with it again or that someone else will come along and snatch up the rights and do something with it, but right now it's not happening. But I never allowed myself to really think that it was going to happen. It was the same thing with a video game. We came very close to having a video game happen, and... uh, events that were beyond my control or the control of the people who wanted to make it made the deal fall through and that's how it goes but I set out to be a writer I set out to write books and that 
has exceeded my wildest dreams, uh, you know, in terms of success. And so if they make a video game or a movie or a TV show or something someday, that's great, and I'll be super excited about it. But if my career is just writing books, like, that's all I ever wanted it to be. Our next question comes from Drew, and I have to say, this is the kind of question that makes me uh, know that that we're dealing with somebody who has a very dedicated fan base. Uh, Drew asks, is there a significance that I might have missed to the number of sides to each die in an Allegai Aura set? And I don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. but uh, Allegai Hora are Allegai the Hora. Um, okay. dice carved from demon bones that the Dama Ting, who are the priestesses uh, in the books, use to tell the future. And so... Um, they are very similar to the polyhedral dice that we use in Dungeons and Dragons or other role-playing games, but I added one uh, extra die, which is the 16-sided die, because I wanted seven, because seven is a holy number, and the problem is the 16-sided die doesn't really occur in nature. <laughs> um, there is no such thing, and so that one, uh, when, whenever people try and make a set, They'll they'll get a set of pile of just dice and, and draw wards on them or something, usually for a fan art contest or something like that. And then they'll get to the 16-sider and they'll not know what to do. Um, that's where you got to set up the Peter V. Brett store that sells 16-sided die, right? I've I've been tempted to to uh, have a couple custom made, uh, but. You know, I, I'm tempted to do a lot of things that I end sure. up. Uh, someday, maybe, if, if there's enough interest, I might make a set. And then uh, Chris wants to know, uh, what's your craziest Mike Cole story? Oh, wow. You know you guys are thick as thieves. That you can safely tell. Uh, I don't, I mean, Mike and I have been friends for 20 years, uh, and getting into trouble for 20 years, uh, and so to pick one crazy story out of, out of that is surprisingly difficult. Um, I will say that when we met, uh, I was one of a handful of people who were uh, doing Battle of the Bands in high school. And Mike came from another high school um, with his band to compete in the Battle of the Bands. That was how we met. Um, and he was the singer in a thrash metal band. He had hair down to his ass and, like, you know, showed up and, like, like ripped up T-shirts, like, with his muscles all out. And he couldn't really sing, so his singing style was that sort of, like, speed metal, like... <laughs> Where you couldn't really have any idea what he was saying, but like it was, it was sort of in tune with whatever the the, the music was. Um, so that was how we met. And uh, a year later, when I went to college in Buffalo, uh, I saw like I was like the only guy there with long hair, and I saw this one other guy with long hair, and I was like, oh, who's that? And I was like, oh, hey, that's that guy, Mike. And we were friends ever since. Oh, that's very cute. <laughs> Uh, our final question comes from Rob. He wants to know, what was the last book you read outside of your own genre that you found particularly enjoyable? Uh, well, I am almost done. I've been doing a lot of audiobooks lately. Um, my reading time is not what it used to be, and I also am what I call Twitter-pated, which is just if I'm reading on my iPad – my iPad is also the device where I play games and where I check my Twitter and check my Facebook and, and my email. And 
it you become scattered and you can't focus as much. So I've been doing a lot of audiobooks, particularly at the gym or when I'm walking to and from taking my daughter to school. Um, and I am almost done with Horns by Joe Hill, mm. which is a fantastic book, but also an extremely dark and sometimes upsetting one, um, which has been difficult for me because... I will use it to try. I'll use audiobooks to try and take away the misery of being on the elliptical machine at the gym, and uh, horns has only added to the misery of being on the. Like, there's there's no escape into into the world of horns. The world of horns is is, is horrifying, um, but I'm really enjoying the book, and I'm closing in on the end. Uh, I think I'm going to read something a little lighter. Lighter, after. perhaps. Yeah, I've heard it's it's pretty um, intense. I picked up Wesley Chu's uh, The Lives of Tao. I hear that that's kind of lighthearted. I had just been through all of the Kevin Hearn Iron Druid books, which are so, like, enjoyable. So and, fun. Like, so fun. And uh, they, Kevin Hearn makes the elliptical machine at least 23% more bearable. Yeah. I do Kevin the... Hearn on the uh, recumbent, on the uh, bike, the stationary bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's usually how I do the stationary bike. Yeah, That's called so the Iron worse. Druid Triathlon. When you do <laughs> but sadly, I caught up on all of those, and so I'm looking for something else that's equivalently sort of lighthearted. Um, I'd already done all the Gail Carragher books, and like there aren't, there isn't a lot of fantasy that's sort of light and and funny and not as dark. Uh, so I've been looking for suggestions for something else to... Did you do all of the Gail Carragher books? Because she has the new YA uh, series that's out um, that uh, is is uh, same universe, just uh, a different, uh, like a finishing school, the finishing school series. I can't remember the name, what it's actually named. Uh, there's Curtsies and Conspiracies yes. and... Um, Thank you. you know, Petticoats and some weapon, I forget. Um, <laughs> I, I've done those too. Uh, Gail and I are friends, and mm -hmm. so I, and I love, I like her books in audio much more than I like them in, in print, actually. Um, the, the British accents of the, of the narrators just add something to it that uh, it's, it's exhausting to do the British accent, the funny British accent in my head, but to have someone else do it is great. Gail has another book that's coming out shortly though prudence which is her next sort of adult fiction book in that world and so i'm waiting for the audiobook for that to come out so i can pick that up too Ooh, i may have to read now, that one myself rob had asked what the last book outside of your genre that you well, I would say horns is outside of my genre is it okay it's it's far um, right. i guess yeah. it is sort of tangentially related i, yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. there's a horror element to my books and there is a supernatural element in horns um but well, so I would consider that outside of my genre. I really enjoyed and read almost the entire series of recently, the Kate Daniels series by Alona uh, Andrews. Uh, it's kind of urban fantasy, kind of fun, mm. a little bit sexy. Um, so if you're looking for something, it's kind of like girl iron druid in a way. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe check that one out. Okay. Yeah. That's my, well. my recommendation. All right. Well, that kind of wraps things up, Pete. Thank you so much. And of course, the Skull Throne comes out on March 31st. That's just in a couple of days from now, uh, fourth in the Demon Cycle series. Um, and you're going to be at Emerald City Comic Con, so people should be looking for you there as well, right? Uh, yeah, I'll be at Emerald City Comic Con with a ton of other authors. Uh, Pat Rothfuss is going to be there. Robin Hobb is going to be there. Naomi Novik is going to be there. Mike Cole is going to be there. And we, uh, you can hear it first here since uh, 
I'm not giving anything too secret away now. Uh, we will be doing an Authors with Drinks event somewhere off-site, so if you can't get tickets to the sold-out Emerald City Comic Con and you want to come over and have a few drinks with me and Mike and Pat and probably Robin and Naomi, uh, we're going to pick a bar and uh, tweet the location sort of last minute, and it'll be a chance to just come and hang out. Uh, I, I don't think there's enough opportunities to do that with authors. Usually you're in a signing line and you get two minutes and that's it. Um, or you're seeing them up on a panel, this is something where you can actually come and we can all socialize and hopefully not drink too much and embarrass ourselves. <laughs> That's, That's the Washington awesome. State Convention Center in Seattle, March 27th through 29th. If there's someone out there like, wait a minute, what is this Emerald City Comic Con? Yes. All right, and that about wraps it up for us. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. You can help support our show by heading over to patreon.com slash swordandlaser. Our website is swordandlaser.com, in case you couldn't figure that out from all the other stuff. And all of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. Thank you so much, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank Bye. you.